This is the Randomer Nintendo Podcast, episode 34 for February 6th. I lost my train of thought there. Uh, I am your host, Kevin, and to my left, my digital left, as always, is Jason. Hello. I would like to assure you, Kevin, it didn't sound like you lost your train of thought until you pointed out you lost your train of thought. To my digital right is Angel. Hi. That's the most enthusiastic hi that I've heard from Angel in years. Ever? That He sounded like he was trying to do a Kirby impression almost. No. That, that, that's uh, the Kirby's intonation Kirby hi. does. No, no, no. In, 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 um, in Kirby's Dream Buffet on the Switch, uh, there's a button. There's a button you can hit to make him say hi. And he has three different variations of hi. And one of them sounds just like what Angel did in intonation, not in pitch. Well, to back up what Kevin did, I mean what Kevin said. Um, no, that was not the aim. And oh, wow. when I think of a Kirby high, it's exactly how. Yeah, no, that's imitated. I mean, I haven't oh, even played Kirby that. Dream Buffet, so I'm just saying you. I don't know. Have any interest in playing? Didn't know that maybe was a game. Your, maybe it's your spirit blob. Spirit Kirby. blob. Yep. Spirit blob. It's uh. Have you boys been? It's been raining. It's been here. It's been a moist weekend. Been pretty pissed off. I'm not gonna lie. No, right. we'll do what you want to delve into it? Is yeah, it anything you want to elaborate on? No, nah, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Um, that, that's, that's a complete lie. Actually, is that word even like a... That, that's not a, a bleep word, right? I always forget what is bleep worthy, especially when it comes to certain words. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what are some TV safe words that you think I'm thinking of? Uh, ass, I think, is safe. Crap. Damn. Crap. Yeah. Hell. Hmm. Interesting. Sucks. So not. I think pissed off is okay. Okay. All right. All right. Well, overall, definitely not pissed off. Um, but there was <laughs> something that definitely annoyed me. So Saturday, Saturday was a fun day. There was just a lot of like Japan-related activities. You know, went to Little Tokyo, had some ramen, went to karaoke. Um, kind of like low-key in the sense that it was just like a very small group, like celebrated, like. A birthday of a friend and the night ended like with a concert um i had mentioned i guess last year maybe at some point that i watched the last rock stars which is a japanese rock group made up of four um very famous japanese artists um that you know also have their own careers and we saw one of those four people yesterday no saturday and that was pretty cool. It was cool seeing them, you know, independent, see what kind of style they do. And damn, they're a very amazing guitarist. But so, you know, substance wise, it was a great day. But the part that I, I guess, finally hit like a tipping point was with just concert etiquette and not so much the attendees, but just the concert um what do we even call them um the people hosting the concert the concert hosts the bands the people anyone involved in that like what? i mean finally, those on stage or like the management of the band i guess management um because i mean i don't know who's really to blame but i mean after a year or so of going to concerts like almost every month at some point i've come to accept and people have made it you know pretty known that like yeah if a concert says it's going to start at 8, it's rarely going to start at 8. Like, it's usually, you know, some arbitrary amount of time after. 
at least from my experience and you know this could be different maybe depending on the artist maybe some people do run a tight shift and they actually do start when they're supposed to but too many times i've been to a concert where it doesn't even start till like an hour later and oh you some... sweet summer child yes and this is norm and it just got to an a point hour where... later from what exactly from the quote-unquote start time because it just says what, what is the quote-unquote start time in your mind is it doors or is it what it says on the ticket well i've seen like on the ticket it just says starts at eight but then on the ticket itself it also says doors open at seven so it's like no, okay. no, no. does it say starts at eight or does it just say eight it just says eight okay continue well regardless i mean all they have to do is just make that clear to me because <laughs> like why like why is it just like eight because at that point eight means nothing like eight literally just an arbitrary nothing. number at that point yeah like if doors open at seven but it doesn't start till nine like what the heck is eight like just eight the mi- is... like the midpoint like it's eight... not like they clo- they didn't close the doors at that point they eight is was... the lie so people who show up late, of which there are numerous, especially in Los Angeles, especially in LA, won't throw a fit when they miss half the show. I don't agree with this. I think screw them. Well, like, no, but the problem is, do you want half your stadium empty and the artist being disappointed by that? Do you want half the audience being upset and yelling at your much smaller staffed management team of the can't venue? they Do say you, want, like, you know show easier? like performers will start like actually say like it just starts at this time nope because then of... people will try and butt up against that and come late it's dumb but it's like fine then, then you know i mean I like tell you from from somebody who works at a at a music venue yeah that it's it's not that easy I know, and 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 I know it's just because you know, I live that, with yeah. people that do this. Uh, like you know, no matter what time you tell them, like you know, they just kind of it, it just sucks. Like it sucks well, that we have the, to do that. Like I just the, it, and it annoys me. Like it, you know, part of it feels like like oh, like why do the people that just can't seem to, you know, if they're gonna go to this concert, sometimes you know, like months and months and months in advance that you're gonna go to this thing can't seem to, you know, just coordinate their time around this, you know, well, just show up with enough time. Well, and it's, it's, and if that, it's a and, lot of and different if that's factors. Not, it's, it's not just the audience. It's like, it's like traffic. It's, mm-hmm. it's weather. It's but then how work. is that any different than like, say the arbitrary time was six and then it doesn't start till seven. I mean, they still managed to start earlier at that point. So it's still possible mm-hmm. for them to start at any arbitrary time. Do you just have this arbitrary time? So, Clearly, people will just be late according to whatever this arbitrary time is. Yes. So it almost like, yeah, like it, it just sucks. Like it, it's just a Their situation. general rule of thumb is um, the start time of a concert. I would say, and Kevin, you can vouch since you're more in this industry. I feel like the start time of a concert listed on a ticket is approximately sixty to ninety minutes before the band hits the stage, unless, unless they send no out that email that says we are starting promptly at eight because we have a long show or something like that. Like Taylor Swift started right at eight. Um, when I saw uh, Paul McCartney years ago, he started right at eight, and both of them played for over three hours. So. And then yeah. on top of that, you just have artists that don't like to start on time. So that. that's, that's I know that that's the, the, I know that yeah, the, and that's an, and that's another thing. Like you know, it, obviously there's no perfect solution because you have to deal with people. 
Like everyone is different. Not everyone is going to, you know, respect other people's times. There's, you know, as you guys pointed out, some of those artists that just don't want to start on time. It's like, I well, feel like, pe- you know, like, oh. and equipment. It's not just people. Also, you know, a lighting rig isn't working quite right. Sound check went sideways and they have to spend double the time doing it. They have some padding in all these situations. Yeah. You know when they, they spend have... all the time flashing the flashlights back and forth before a concert? Like the guy on stage is flashing the guy way in the back at the lighting booth who's flashing some other guy. Like there's a lot of like little things that have to nip and tuck that sometimes take longer than they think, especially if there's an opening act and they have to like clear the stage for them first or a clear stage from them after. So. I mean, that's all still kind of arbitrary right? when they decide to start, you know, doing these tests. Like, yeah, no, like not really. No, a lot of it is actually, it's not arbitrary. It's it's it's, it's to the like set second. Rules. Yeah, it's to the second. Yeah, it's mainly you, it, for cost cutting measures, and in some cases, it's union work that takes care of stuff like that. So you have to be careful with that stuff. And you and you can, Angel, to your point, you may very much enjoy certain, uh, music festivals because. They are much more of an oiled machine in that regard because everyone's given 40 minutes. And if they miss some of their 40 minutes or 45 or an hour and a half, whatever their set list is, if they don't hit – if they don't come out when they're supposed to, they don't get to play as much because then the next band comes on. So that one is more what you're looking for, which is like boom, 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 boom. But if it's someone who has a little more control over their venue, from my experience in how many years I've been going to concerts, I feel like it's weird. I'm talking about this so much versus Kevin because he's more than that. But, <laughs> but from my experience, it's kind of like when the artist has a little flexibility – whether it's so they have a crowd that's full and enthusiastic so they can feed off that energy and perform better generally, whether it's whatever, you know, they, they like to have that time and have that flexibility if needed. I mean, this is, I mean, for me, like all it would take for me to be happy is just more visibility on like, even honestly, all it would take is just for someone to like come up on stage and be like, like, you know, they didn't have to give us like a thought of like, oh, we're going to be up in, you know, 30 minutes or something, just, you know, kind of like acknowledging that it's still starting because sometimes, I don't know, I, I, I'm i just a very, it's it's just me, I guess. Like, I don't know. I No, 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 it's not if, just if I'm If I'm told I, I... something is going to start at eight, like, it just annoys me and it kind of made me, like, upset. Like, because, you know, is there... at some point I was even kind of, like, checking out a little, like, I don't know. Eh, I, I... Is there a reason why it doesn't bother you with movies? When they don't start on time, or is that I feel just like because they you're always... used to it? No, movies. Like... If if a movie is advertised at eight, rarely will it start at eight. The trailers will start at eight, but the movie itself. The won't movie's start. up to thirty-five minutes later. Yeah, depending on the number of trailers. Uh, I mean, I just consider that part of the show, I guess, because they're starting the trailers. I guess. I mean, that's just what I take that start time is. I mean, I guess I could, but I mean, that's the thing. Like the trailers always start at eight. Like at least I know roughly like. 15 to 20 minutes after start time, maybe 30 minutes, like it's going to start. But at least I know it's already going. With this, it seems to be kind of a crapshoot, like whether it's going to be 40 to 50 to an hour. Like it's never really quite the same. And depending on what time the concert is, and, you know, maybe I just have to make sure I am, I guess I have enough energy to mentally prepare for that, or I guess just mentally prepare for that. You know I mean, the other reason that we didn't even touch on that they do that? Let's say the crowd all rolls in at 5 to 8 for an 8 o'clock show. Let's say they make it. Let's say they plan accordingly, to your point, Angel. How does the venue make any money off selling drinks and food at maximum quantities if all the people that walk in are immediately distracted by the show? 
that hold on that i don't think that has any bring on anything because that's the venues issue that's not the artist issue no but isn't that baked into all of this like when they plan these things Doors no, open no, at mm, six. Go get your spot. You have to like eight till the show technically quote unquote, starts. Oh, man, and there's some uh, more. I can't think about the venue. Oh my ven- god! Ven- I'm so sorry. My own enjoyment is venues oh, have man. have like absolutely nothing to. Uh, venues rarely make the call of like, hey, we're going to, uh, Mister Artist, can you delay the show because? Oh no no! no I don't mean I don't mean the artist is consciously like I will not go on because the venue needs to sell drinks. I mean like, isn't it baked into like concert culture that like. There is this padding for the audience to get situated, get and, there, and, get and fed, yes, that's, get that's, drinks, sit down. Sure, like, that's yeah. typically I, I understand what you mean by that. But yeah. that like you said, that's typically, you know, an hour to thirty minutes unless there's an opening act. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So I'm saying but if, like, if but concert, I think yeah. you saying like oh, how are the how are the the venues gonna make it with only five minutes to spare? It's like that that has no bearing on anything. I, guess, I, I, guess I don't I think that has any bearing on on the issues that Angel's having. I mean, I, don't I get me wrong. Like, what I'm like, saying, like the performer, like okay, the main person it, I'm yeah. here to see, doesn't have to start at eight. Like, usually, kind of like to your point about movies, like that's just when I assume like something is starting. Like, I know, like we had um, like an opener that started like at like at eight fifteen, you know. So like fifteen minutes later, like whatever, and like okay, cool, we have the opener. There's probably going to be like a slight intermission or something, and then the main show will start. But we had like almost an hour, like after the opener, like of just nothing. Like there was just like nothing on stage, nothing. Like no one came to say anything. It was just like, huh? Like okay, I guess. Do I have enough time for anything? Whereas a movie, you know, like as soon as the trailers are done, you know the movie's going to start right after. That's just when the show starts. I mean, whatever the show entails or whatever they put in it. If I knew there was going to be, like, this big gap between the opener and the show, then, you know, I probably wouldn't mind as much. But I guess it's just more me knowing that that's, I guess, just the thing. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, just to be fair, for, just, just from, think... like, it's more of, like, just my experience doing it. Like, why it happens, why they do these things. Like, sure, I'm sure there's, as you guys have pointed out, there's logic to all of it of why we do all these things. It doesn't make it any less annoying to or fair, any less frustrating to deal with. Just I don't think I don't anyone like loves standing around, especially all the times I've been on the floor for concerts. I don't think I like like standing there for an hour. Like, well, I can't really use my phone because I will take pictures. And if I use my phone, the battery will drain. Then when the concert starts, I want to have a battery to take my picture. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anyone like likes it. I think it's just kind of an accepted part of concert culture. And so I'm not allowed to be annoyed by it? No, I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think I think collectively a lot of people probably have the same mindset of you of like, oh, this isn't this kind of sucks. But like I think it's just been this way for so long that like those who have been going to concerts It's just something that we've accepted. Accepted and just kind of take at face value versus get frustrated by. Which is why I made the joke up front of like, oh, sweet summer child, because like this is all new to you. So, of course, it's frustrating. But for us, it's like we're jaded. We've been to so many concerts. It's like, yep, this is what happened. Like that. I think that's kind of the the difference in your frustration and our kind of like acceptance. I guess we'll see how I feel a year from now. But knowing myself, it's probably not going to change. It might, if anything, it might just stay the same. I guess I can't imagine it getting any worse because obviously I'll know that's what to expect. But yeah, it, 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 it just feels like, you know, we're just stuck with it. Like that's just how, yeah, 
I mean, that's like you said, it's just how it is. There are exceptions. Certain artists will say they're going to start promptly at the time, and they do. K-pop they, they always starts on time. Like, K-pop oh, always starts on time. That kind of fits the K-pop culture, like how that, K-pop that, it, Yeah, like, it also makes sense yeah. because, like, girls are, are waiting in line hours before yeah. doors even open, yeah. so. I guess, you know what, and, I and guess it could only get better. Opening acts tend to start closer to the start time because they need to squeeze all the acts in. Like Coldplay usually has like two to three opening acts, and they usually start pretty promptly within like twenty minutes of doors. So it it, yeah. it depends. It's so many factors. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, like I really do appreciate the you guys like you know kind of filling in a lot of this context because yeah, like even after a year, like I was yeah, I'm still definitely relatively new to just being like a concert vet. Like I've only experienced that a, like you know. Yeah, concert goer. Cause like, yeah, even the shows where I've had to wait, I, don't, I think this was, I think the first time that I've ever waited long enough where I started to wonder, like, did something happen to the performer? Like, are they okay? Are they even at the venue? <laughs> like, normally, Someone here has never been to a Kanye show. <laughs> like, normally, like, I've had to wait, like, just long enough that I, I've never had to wait long enough to, like, wonder that. I just, there was definitely, like, a certain level of, like, acceptance. Like, you know, I think. 30 minutes, I feel, is, I guess, usually my buffer, and I've been lucky enough that most of the people I have seen have stayed within that, but I think this is the first time where it was, like, almost, like, a whole hour, if not a little more of nothing, and I think that's when it just started to go, like, god damn it, because, you know, I, I really, really appreciate punctuality, like, I feel like I respect people's time, and I feel like if I'm respecting their time, I kind of expect them to respect mine, but obviously, when we're dealing with a bunch, a bunch of factors, especially things that can be out of people's control, then, you know, this is what you get. And I think having this in mind going forward will definitely help because at this point, you know, depending on the artist, I will definitely go in going like, well, it may be an hour and that's just, is it? And if it's any sooner, then it might be better. My pro tip slash general rule of thumb is don't think about what time you get there. Think about what time it's going to end. And traditionally concerts end between 10.30 and 11.30, depending on the venue, depending well, on curfew. Sometimes this one just at 8 o'clock, and we were out of the door, I think, like, by almost midnight. Okay, yeah. So there you go. So, yeah, if you if you assume... I guess a better way to put it. Maybe he did start late. Uh, better way to put it, yeah, I would... Because that's four hours. Like, the show, he only... They only played for, like, an, an hour, hour right? and 40, yeah. like, an hour 30, something like that. So, yeah. The show yeah, itself actually, was the, cool. These, so, like, these I was, days, like, you know, like, that... You know, I definitely forgot about all those woes as they were playing because it really was, they put on a great show, you know, and that, blah, that's blah, blah. what they bank on. But, yeah. but that immediately after the concert, I think on my way home, like I immediately went back to that. Like, you know, I dwelled on that. So, you know, it could have, it definitely didn't ruin the show because they performed, but if the show had sucked, that would have left like a really sour, like, and like I probably would have been. You know, way more like, like, ugh, like if I have to, yeah. But, you know, typically, you know, if you're going to, I mean, most of the time you already know you like the band a lot before you go to the watch and perform live. So I guess at worst case scenario, you'll still leave happy, but, you know, maybe mildly annoyed. I mean, it also just depends on your energy levels. If you, I mean, we were out all day. We walked from the Fonda Theater, which is where the where the concert was, to the Chinese Theater to check out some handprint from that's a, a parallel artist that's like um, a mile plus that's it's a, a mile exact well i guess yeah, it's a okay. mile each way 
Um, yeah. You know, we we stopped to get some food and drinks at Scum and Villainy on the way back. So, you know, that was so cool. But, you know, like, then being at a venue where there's no chairs and you're just standing there, like, you know, you, you tend to get a little tired. But, so, you know, things add up, but yeah, we made it through. But, yeah, I guess it does sound like it is just what it is. And, you know, I just think it sucks that that's just how it is. Yeah, I, I would yeah. say I'm gonna mop yeah. what I was saying. I would just assume anytime you go to a concert at night, just guess you're not gonna be out of there until like the last hour of the night type of thing, like eleven yeah. to twelve. Because then, then no matter how long they take, at least you know, well, my night will end at this time. Because that's yeah. consistent. No venue, unless you're at like a club with a DJ set or like an EDM thing, tends to go past midnight. So, so more of the story. If you're gonna start going to concerts or anything, just yeah. That's a good way of putting it, actually. Just assume you're... Obviously, you know, if it's an evening concert like this, if it's something that starts, like, at noon, I shouldn't expect for my day to end, you know, at noon, right? Or or just right? expect it anyway and be pleasantly right? surprised when you get back three extra hours. <laughs> oh, God. Nine-hour concert. Yeah. I, I'm sure that's happened before, but then maybe that was more festivals. Festival that's just festivals at that point. Yeah, yeah but... No, but you seriously, know, Angel, you would, like the time, you would like the timeliness of festivals because they're very... They have to stick to a regiment. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me that space to vent while both giving me good insight and also making me feel like my complaints were invalid but also still valid. No, no. There's validity in how you felt. It's just... It's something we all just swallow many years ago yeah it's just something that we've all gotten used to like it it sucks don't get us wrong like yeah but we're just jaded now because we're so used to it yeah like yep that's just how it goes just very (sighs) i'm okay now going on time virtual hug (laughs) virtual hug uh do you want to talk about something that you do enjoy though (laughs) (laughs) um yeah on the opposite end of the spectrum actually this is very opposite of the spectrum because Unlike other movies, um, Kevin and I watched Gurren Lagann, Childhood's End, and The Lights in the Sky Are Stars, um, two Tuesdays back to back. And those mm-hmm. movies pretty much started right at eight because there were no previews. You just get like oh, a quick bumper on. of oh, you know, yeah, the directors. Like, like, you know, that's a context that I definitely wouldn't want to, I wouldn't have wanted to miss, especially with something that to back up a little bit. This is. Story of a girl. thirty plus anime series, 30, 30 plus episode anime yes. series that got condensed into a two two movies into two parts. Twenty uh, something crap, I forgot. Well, yeah, point is it's a, it's not the longest anime, but there's a substantial amount. Definitely, you know, twenty seven episodes. Oh, all right, damn, twenty seven episodes. You know, roughly <laughs> a good amount of hours. Um, mm-hmm. definitely more than. What we saw, but you know, it's right at eight or whenever it started. I think it was actually seven. Um, yeah, you know, we got this like cool little like bumper from the directors and some of the, just some of the people that worked on the film telling us, you know, thanks for coming. We brought to you some little insight into how they decided to condense this into the movie, what the first part was about when we saw that one, what the second part was roughly about. And, you know, kind of talking about the legacy of the show because. I knew Gurren Lagann was obviously a popular anime. Um, when it does come up, typically people that like it love it. And if they don't, they haven't seen it. Like, I've yet to hear about the show as it's alright from anyone that's seen it. It's either they've seen it and they love it or they haven't. 
And I was in, I haven't. I had only seen the first episode multiple times because I tried starting it at different points. But for some reason, I never get past the first episode. Not because I was bored or anything, but I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't time or some stuff come up, came up. But, oh boy. Um, even when Kevin like gave me like light, I wouldn't even say spoiled at this one. You know, just kind of gave me like an, a general idea like what I'm into. And obviously, it being animated by Studio Trigger, um, a studio I'm very familiar with because of animes like Kill la Kill and their movie um, Promare. And what else have they done? Oh. They did the cyberpunk anime. Oh, yeah, they did do that. Yeah, the new cyberpunk anime. Like, I know they're a studio that's all about, you know, going over the top and just kind of keep pushing and pushing the boundaries of what you can do with with action in anime. And damn, this movie did not disappoint. And for being what is a predecessor to some of these things that I've seen, man, like, this anime, and, and this is literally how I've described it to some of my coworkers, it's like the most anime anime I've ever seen. Like, it just animates so hard. It makes everything else feel like it's just tame by comparison. And that's just involving, like, I guess just how, I guess, high-spirited the characters are and how over-the-top the fights get. And I've seen a lot of over-the-top fights, even some out of context, like from Dragon Ball and One Punch Man, which is kind of crazy that even the craziest fight in One Punch Man is, like, a spec compared to... I mean, uh, yeah, like a spec in scale compared to what we saw in this movie. But, yeah, I don't know if you want to quickly touch on your history with Gurren Lagann or anything else, Kevin, before I basically just go into general thoughts on the movies themselves, but yeah, this movie, yeah, if you're a seasoned anime vet, definitely watch it. If you're new to anime, it's either gonna, you're gonna be all in after, or it might scare you away even more, but yeah. What if you're Jason to anime? Uh, uh, you might enjoy <laughs> you. Uh, you might enjoy it. Yeah, maybe you'll appreciate okay. it. You'll definitely yeah, appreciate okay. it. Okay. Cause oh yeah, another thing like I've been saying, Cobra is like it. If I guess an angel pull quote, <laughs> if I got to like say something that'd be like on a website, it'd be this movie feels like what animation has led up to up to that point, like just what is possible with the creativity and just sheer yeah just your creativity you could get in the animation medium because what transpires is like something that i feel could never work in live action or either that just like technology is just isn't there oh, but like not. like i just feel like this could only happen in an animation medium and like i legitimate got and this may or may not even mean much to anybody if you're, you know, like, oh, yeah, Angel Quest for everything. But, like, just the <laughs> production values and just, like, I was just, like, overwhelmed. Like, emotionally, happily overwhelmed just by the magnitude of just everything. Like, the animation, the scale, even just, like, the the personality of, like, a couple of these characters. Because, obviously, with how much they condense, you only really get to know a couple of them. The rest are just kind of there. I don't know if... That is still true with the series, but yeah, like the two, we'll call the two main characters, 
Um, like I love them. Like by the end of it, like it's motivating. I was, I was kind of into it. But yeah, Kevin, if you want, jump in. Um, I, no, I mean, Gurren Logging is probably my favorite anime. I remember watching it back when it was getting, um, when it was getting broadcast on Sci-Fi Channel of all channels. Like it wasn't even like Toonami what? or anything like that. It was on Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, Sci-Fi had an anime block for maybe about half a year. That and oh, Gurren Logging. I might remember this moment. actually, like mid two thousands. Yeah, like yeah, I think like two thousand six yeah, yeah, yeah. or two thousand seven. Yeah, and it was it was really weird. I I caught the first. I was just lucky enough to catch the first episode. Like, like seeing the description on the on the direct TV like guide, I was like, "Huh, this sounds interesting." And I watched it. And of course, I loved it. Um, yeah, that anime means like a lot to me. When when I went to my first anime expo that year, I bought like a little uh a little replica of the main characters uh like necklace which is this little drill um which man that thing's gone but i'm sure i can i can find it um and then i remember maybe two anime expos afterwards uh anime expo or like aniplex the distributor was actually showing these two movies and so i remember watching it in this big hall with a lot of other Gurren login fans and we knew going into it like all the things that were going to happen like there's a pretty big I don't know if you would call it a plot twist but there's a there's a very important um uh what would you call it angel it's not it's not a plot twist right it's just a it's, a, it's a, a very a very big changing of the status quo very early on in the series and so when that and so when that was coming up in the movie it like me and like all the other hundreds of fans that were watching the movie were like, "Oh man, this is this is that scene that's that essentially changes this anime on its head a little bit," and so that was really cool. And then on top of that, you know, they're condensing twenty seven episodes worth of content into this into essentially two two hour movies. Um, but I mean, for us fans, it it didn't feel like we were missing out on too much, especially considering what we knew had happened to these characters that we like all loved. Um, and then for the second movie in particular to this, this show is very over the top and the movie like, Oh man, the scale of the second movie is, is so much larger than the scale of the TV show. It's, and the scale of the TV shows or the anime was already so wild and so massive. That it was it was like almost special that oh man we're getting we're getting even more over the top goodness from this and so th- then this being the 15th year anniversary of those two movies I was like I I, I started watching the the series with uh, with uh, Elvis actually because I wanted to see these movies with him and unfortunately we just we didn't get to it but I was like all right hold on I know Angel loves loves Promare and like Studio Trigger I love I wanted him to see this essentially what led up to to uh studio trigger being a being a studio itself and so i asked him and thankfully he said yes and then watching these two movies and he loved it and it's it's great you know like these are supposed to get released in blu-ray over there in japan i hope that they come over here because those movies do look really really nice considering how old they are yeah instant purchase and yeah seriously to that point they hold up visually so well you would never know they're from the 90s it could have been made today 
I mean, yeah, especially you've seen the second movie. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of have to watch both. Um, the first one definitely is more on the exposition-y side, and even then, you know, a lot of it is through montage. Like, there was, I could think um, the first episode is mostly intact, but then you get kind of like a cut, and then you're like, whoa, suddenly something's happening. Like, this doesn't feel like it happened just like that. And then after, you know, a major set, the first set piece, you get, you know, just a montage played to music, bumping into a bunch of people, and then like five minutes, no, like three minutes later, you just have like, you're not following an army of people. And Kevin just like leans over and goes like, you just watched like 10 episodes or like something like that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and it was definitely like, like, wait, who's who? Like, am I supposed to remember anyone in particular? And there was like one person, like Kevin gave me like a very quick, not like, you know, like they're probably, if anyone... Like, someone's going to be important later. But for the most part, you just get all these characters. But, yeah, like, it, so there were parts that I'm just, like, trying to remember what is going on. Not that I was lost, but just trying to keep things straight because it's so fast-paced with how many people get introduced and concepts and, you know, like, you know, world-building. Because the second movie, while they do introduce still a lot of new things, they don't really introduce a lot of new main characters you have to follow you're pretty much focused on just like this like the core three like everything kind of revolves around those three whereas in the first one you know you keep meeting new people at such a quick pace that besides you know the clearly main two people like yeah everything else just kind of gets a little noisy but you know in a very cool stylish way and man with the first one set up like i gave a personal ranking so the first one would be like an 8 out of 10. That's what I gave it on my little film tracker that I have. And the second movie, damn, it just hits the ground. I don't even want to say running. It was like sprinting or like with a jetpack. Because it just starts with like where you thought everything was leading up to. Like, oh, and I hope this doesn't count as a spoiler. Well, I guess it is a little bit. But yeah, like I thought, you know, they were getting to the final boss. But little did I know, we still had a two-hour movie after so, just to give you, uh, yeah, an idea, and the fact that we're still saying that it just escalates at a level that's just beyond reason, that could only be described as, like, they clearly had no idea it could work out. <laughs> it would have worked out this way. It was just a big Hail Mary risk, and, yeah, they're just, like, they're, like, what happens if someone never stops anyone, like, just push it further. Because that is something in animation. You kind of want to put things as out there as possible and then because it's, it's easier to reel things in than it is to continuously push things out and I guess some of these um, animators and writers just didn't have these limiters they just kept going someone just kept thanking them off saying like can you go further and they're like hell yeah I can and then just gave us this crazy thing and yeah I gave the second movie on my notes a, a 10 out of 10 because it's one of the wow, few times where I just felt, yeah, this, yeah, like it, it made, it, yeah, it, I'm at a loss for words. Like, that's the, pretty the much way uh, that, the way, the way I'm acting it, now. The, the way that I put it is like on Letterboxd, I, I reviewed the two movies and it says same with, with Angel. I think I gave the first movie a, a four out of five stars. And my review was anime is great. 
And then with the second movie, I gave it a five out of five. And I put anime is transcendent. We just because like that's how, <laughs> that's how so amazing it, that it second movie is. Part of the reason it was such a jump in quality for you guys and became transcendent is because you had that first movie. Like it was able to just because Andrew, you're saying like it hit the ground running with a jetpack and like yeah, so like, I, it because yeah, it was the, you need to like, see the first movie. Yeah, the, the first one. movie. Yeah, the first I one see. gives you what you need to know, like the main deal of the character, and then the second movie is literally just putting that to the test over and over again. Gotcha. And how they overcome those things, and yeah, it's cheesy. At the end of the day, the story is very straightforward, and but ah, damn, like I, I don't know. I think I've also been more on a a positivity kick lately. You know, coming from my my venting of the of, you know <laughs> concert etiquette. Uh, yeah. Overall, like I feel like I've been mostly you know just turning to a more positive outlook, like to life in general. Like you're just trying to just see what's good and everything. And you know, and this movie just kind of came at the right time because I'm in the middle of like. You know, I want to improve my art skills. I want to learn Japanese. There's a lot of things I want to learn for, you know, maintenance of the house. And, you know, life stuff, work stuff, hobby stuff. And sometimes you get discouraged, especially in the art stuff, because, you know, you see people way younger than you that, you know, are just amazingly talented. And you're like, oh, I feel like I've wasted so much time. Can I actually do it? And, you know, like it just feels daunting at times. And, you do need to remind yourself to, you know, believe in yourself. The most, like, cliche, straightforward plot that any shounen anime could have. But the way this one did it, man, like, you just, you, you get pumped. Like, you literally get, like, a fire under you. And, yeah, it's, it was just great in that way. Like, I just really needed to, I guess, not hear that, but just see it put to beautifully visual animation. But... Yeah. It's definitely easily one of my favorite animes now. Or at least the movies. Sounds I like it. Show. Yeah. But yeah. Super glad Amazing. you enjoyed it. Super glad you enjoyed it. Cool. That'll do uh, a girl login. Uh, Jason. What's up? You, uh, you came from a very special place. I did. I did. Mere hours ago. I assume we're talking about what I think we're talking about. No, I uh, want to talk about your mother real quick. Um, okay, she is a special lady. This is true. Um, you know, once during I, the wedding. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Once I was a kid, this reminds me, I remember when I was like, the whole like coming from a special place. Thing. I remember when I was a kid, Um, I realized for the first time that the Game Boy and I were the same age. And for some reason, I worded it as the Game Boy came out the same year I did. So, Interesting. Just you're, yeah, just thought that was a weird little anecdote to share. But anyway, yes, I, um, today, hour, like two hours ago, less than two hours ago, went and tried Apple's Vision Pro headset, their VR, AR thing, ski goggles. Uh, I'm still, I have a lot of thoughts, both on, about the demo and about the device, and I'm still trying to kind of figure out how piece together so so if this gets a little weird i apologize but if you want a cool proof of concept for a future that may or may not arrive um the vision pro is very cool to play with i don't know the practicality of it but it like like in this current iteration but it is super cool to play with um 
Have I mean, you guys have definitely done stuff with VR headsets, right? Like I know Angel, obviously you have PlayStation VR. Uh, Kevin, have you you used their VR, right? Do you have? Do you, yeah, you I I also own the uh, a VR one. Yes, right. One. Okay. So I think the biggest thing that you guys would appreciate about this is um, the screens on this thing are insane. So actually, no, I should just I should just maybe walk you through how the demo goes. So if anyone out there wants to try the Vision Pro, what you have to do is you go to Apple's website and you book a demo and they give you a 30 minute time slot where you go in, they measure your face, kind of like like a face ID where you have to like kind of turn four different ways and the camera on the front of an iPhone measures it. They use that to figure out the right fit for the light blocking like mesh that goes between the Vision Pro headset and your face. Uh, and then they like go, they, you know, they, if you wear glasses, they can do stuff with like light Zeiss, uh, like prescription lenses and put those in. and they put this all together for you, like on the spot. Um, and then you put it on and you get about 15 to 20 minutes at that point to actually go through this like guided tour where, um, it's very handholded. Like you can't really do a whole lot of like breaking out of the mold of it, but, um, they take you through this little guide tour and you get to experience some of the augmented reality. You get to experience spatial video and spatial photos, which 3DS fans out there know as 3D videos and photos because literally it's that, just way crisper now. Um, and then you get to like see a movie and you get to play around some windows and then they show you this immersive thing and you're done. And I think the so, – so I think the thing that really stuck out to me most is the screen quality is insane. Like there's no – every VR device, including to a lesser extent, but still there, the PlayStation VR 1 and 2 has a bit of that screen door effect, right? Like the screens are crisp-ish, but like you can still kind of tell they're a screen. Vision Pro doesn't have that. I was shocked. It has a variant of that. So when you first put it on, they put you into augmented reality. Uh, so what this basically is, is they have a pass-through, maybe they call it mixed reality. I'm not sure what they call it, but basically they have a pass-through camera. So when you put it on, what you actually end up looking at first is the exact room you were just sitting in before you put it on and you're still sitting in physically, um, just slightly dimmer. So initially when I put it on, I was like, oh, huh, this screen doesn't live up to the hype because it's like a slightly dimmer, ever so slightly fuzzier. Like you could tell it's a video pass-through kind of of the room like it's you know it it's if you move your head really quickly there's not like a lag but like you could tell you're in a screen you're not really looking at the real world anymore and then they can overlay stuff on that so you can have like windows and apps and all those are super crisp and super clear and i was like okay that's interesting like the screen effect is you know like the, the you're looking at a screen is definitely there when you're looking at the real world in part because technology can only go so far, right? Like they got the latency down to I think it's 12 microseconds or something. So like you can in real time like do stuff through this screen pass-through of the real world. So like I was able to like kick my phone out of my pocket and fill with it. Like you can – it feels no latency of no. Like it feels like you really are interacting with the real world. Just there's this kind of – you're clearly looking through a screen. Like there's a slight fuzziness around the side, like a clear screen. But then – when they go into full resolution stuff, the screen just blew me away. Like you can do, you know, something as simple as opening a web page and the text is so crisp. Or like they showed me um, a 3D movie, which 
I, the demo movie was the Mario movie in 3D, which made me very happy, obviously, because Mario movie, but also continuing my pattern of never watching the movie the same way twice. I've now seen it in 3D inside of Vision Pro. Uh, but then they go from there to like what they call their immersive entertainment, which was kind of like what you, you know, the sizzle reel you get for every VR device where it's like, oh, look, you can look around you and you're on the top of a mountain or oh, look, there's some like animals coming up to you or oh, look, you're watching a baseball game and the ball is coming right at you or like that sort of thing. And that's where that screen door effect goes away. That's where like the fact that these pixels are and this is a real metric. I'm not making this up. The pixels are small and I don't know who measures things this way, but if you needed to know, the pixels are smaller than red blood cells in your body. The pixels are the smallest pixels you can imagine. You cannot see the pixels. Huh. So when you're in these fully immersive things, even when they're like just static panorama photo. What was that? It's a little scary to think about. It's weird, right? But yeah, even when you're like in like fully panoramic photos, which yes, any photo from your phone can become a panorama you can look at. Like any uh, panoramic photo you take on your phone. If you're looking at like spatial videos, spatial photos, those can be also taken on your iPhone or with the device, but with the Vision Pro. Anything you're looking at that's not like that, that you're looking at the real world through a video feed, it's so crisp. There was one point where in the immersive like sizzle reel they showed me, there are some rhinoceroses coming up. I think they're rhinoceroses coming up to like I, – I guess there's like a feeding trough hypothetically right where I was standing. So they're coming right up and I swear you could see the cracks in their skin. And it really felt like they're like right there, like more so than like, oh, uh, you know, when you use the Oculus for the first time, wow, it's like you're in there. Oh, you're using the 3DS and wow, it's like popping out at you. Like, no, this felt like there were rhinoceroses in like crisp, 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 crisp resolution with no screen door effect, like right at my feet. And that was really cool as just a proof of concept of technology. Also, a lot of the AR stuff is really cool as just like a proof of concept of technology. I mean, yes, the video pass through is not perfect, but very quickly I found it kind of faded away. The fact that it didn't feel quite real. Funny enough, when I took it back off, I'm like, oh, wow, it's actually really bright in here. Like I, I adjusted so quickly in there. But the stuff they can do with the overlays, the eye tracking. So every inner, every experience you have inside that helmet, um, ski goggles. Uh, every experience you have inside there, like you just look at something and you just tap two fingers to do it. You just tap your index or your middle on your thumb and and it does it. Like you just look at something and you tap and it goes to it. it it's, it's so seamless. It's so Apple. Like it just works. Like, you know, Oculus and PlayStation, all the others have and HoloLens to some extent had either controllers like these kind of elaborate things. Or weird gestures. Like, nope, this one's just like, you don't even need your hand up in front of you. I had it down at my side. As long as there's a line of sight from the camera that's throughout the goggles to your hand. So don't put it under a table, for example, but put it like beside you next to a table. You don't need to hold your hand up and it just works. Um, and that was really impressive. The way you can, you know, just kind of drag windows around and scale them and make things bigger and move things around. And they kind of pin to the environment, which I did confirm they do because I know the three of us had a chat about whether they pin or not. They do pin to the environment. Um, but, you know, the way you can just kind of set things up and it's also seamless and natural. It feels like Minority Report. Like, again, really cool proof of concept of this sort of technology. Um, the thing I think I'm sort of hung up on is I don't really know what this is for <laughs> like like i understand so i think if the vision pro for the shareholders 
Yeah, it's for the shareholders. There we go. No, but I think like there's a lot of really cool stuff. Watching movies in this, like it, it's true. It does feel like, you know, there's a giant movie screen in front of you. Um, the fact that you can read – like they had me resize a Safari window and I was able to blow it up to be like my entire field of – almost my entire field of vision. There is a field of vision on the Vision Pro that a lot of reviews are saying is too narrow compared to some devices. Honestly, I didn't even notice. Like it was fine as far as I was concerned, but like so you could fill that whole field of vision, whatever its degrees are, um, with like I did it with the Safari browser, but you could do it with a movie. You could set up a movie theater. Like there's – that's really cool if you want to watch movies by yourself. And I'm not saying that's a negative. I watch some movies by myself. There's nothing wrong with watching movies by yourself. But if you ever want to watch movies in a social setting, Vision Pro, your giant screen you just got, well, that's gone. If you want to do work, there's some really cool stuff you can do with work. I only got to slightly dabble in it with moving around windows and stuff. But you could put windows all around you, behind you, in front of you. You could pin windows. Like one cool thing uh, that I saw someone do with their Vision Pro online is they basically set up like a digital workspace. So they had like their music window, like their music app was off against one wall. They had a TV, quote unquote, using whatever Apple TV app up against their TV like up against the wall the TV would be, they had a desk area where they had a couple things pinned and they were just walking around between them with their Vision Pro on. And like, you know, it was all like these full immersive things. So if you want to watch TV, just turn, there's your giant 90-inch TV while work and have seven monitors, one of which is actually your MacBook. They could like drag out the the screen from your MacBook and make it bigger than what your MacBook physically can do and then use your Mac's keyboard still. Like that's a thing you can do. Like there's a lot of cool things, but like... Who's going to – what scenario are you in where you're you're actually like doing all this for prolonged periods of time with this headset on? Because that was the biggest downside of my experience is the thing is not light. It's not heavy, but it's not light. It's, it's, it's weirdly balanced in weight. So – the front is kind of more heavy than the back. They partly, I think they did this because it has a very nice like strap. Like I don't know if you guys have looked at like, or if you guys have like done side by sides. Like if you look at PlayStation VR and like Meta's like Quest or what was the Oculus and um, you know like the Vision Pro, there's sort of like a silly factor in how the other ones are designed. That they have like three different head straps, right? They have the one that goes like over your head, the one that goes around your head, the one that goes like there's all these different pieces. They look like kind of these boxes you have to strap to your face. Vision Pro, at least with the strap that they're using in stores versus it comes with two in the box. But the one that Apple's showing off is like this like nicer fabric, stretchy thing. It has this really cool mechanism where to tighten it. You just turn a knob on the side and the fabric actually tightens. Like there's just like it just feels less like you're putting this giant contraption on your face and more like you're just slipping on a pair of goggles. The problem with that is that means all the weight is in the front because all that's left on the rest of the headset is this felt strap. There is a battery pack, but you keep it separate. It's attached with a cord. It's not physically on the unit. It could go in a pocket, it could go on a table, whatever. But they can't counterbalance the weight in the back with a battery like some of the others do because it's not there because it would change the aesthetics. So you have this kind of front-loaded thing on your face. And I don't see a scenario for me personally where I'm going to choose to have a workspace that, yes, I can have five screens and they're all massive, but also like my face is getting tired from just the weight. I don't even think it's from the screen. That's the thing. The screen is so – like I don't think I would get tired from the screen. Like the screen was so high res – 
and so 8K and so everything that like it didn't – I didn't feel any like headache or motion sickness or anything like that. Granted, I only did 20 minutes to 30 minutes but still like it felt fine. Like there was no weirdness. The only weirdness slightly was when with the video pass through and even that like the lag is so little that you just have to get used to like these little things like they focus what you're looking at. So like if I'm looking – at the microphone here talking to you guys, naturally my eyes will blur out stuff, right? Like if you try and look in at something in your periphery right now without moving your eye, it's blurry, right? And then when you focus your eye to it, it comes into focus. The Vision Pro does that with software. So even stuff that's like digitally on there or stuff that's like in the video feed, it will blur it until your eyes look at it. And I have to imagine that's somewhat to help with processing power. I don't have to render everything at high resolution. They can just render the thing that you need. Um, but that's the only thing where the video pass through really, I could see potentially being an issue long term is like, there's like an extra layer of fuzz kind of, but there's not really any like latency. There's not really, like I was saying that the, if you're watching like fully immersive stuff or you're using like full digital environments or whatever, there's nothing there that feels like it's going to get you motion sick. So it's not like having a screen so close to your face is going to be that problematic. I don't think from my experience, it seems like it's going to be the weight that's going to be the thing that bogs you down. It makes you not want to use it. So the way I kind of look at this whole thing, um, well, first of all, I guess first question, is there anything you guys want to know about the Vision Pro now that I've actually like tried it and like strapped it I to mean, my face? I mean, you pretty much answered the thing I was most curious about, which was the resolution. Yeah, no, it's so crisp. It's nuts. It's it's I can't put into words. I mean, I did, but it's hard. <laughs> but but no, the thing I was gonna say that Kevin was like they you should have sent a poet or something. They what? Like they should have sent a poet or something. Yeah, maybe or a lyricist, and I could put it into song. But um, Kevin, was there anything you were curious about with Vision Pro before I get to? I might have, I might have missed this, but uh, do you need an an iPhone? Connected to I it? didn't specify, but yes, you do. So it's really funny. So it's not standalone. No, it is not. So you don't need an oh. iPhone to pair it with. You need an iPhone to set it up. So how it works, um, and this is something they didn't show me in the oh. demo. I just know from watching reviews. The way that I was saying how for the demo, they like kind of catered it to my face. Like they had me do like a face ID style scan and they like matched up the right type of fit. And then they like have lenses they could put in if you need glasses, that sort of thing. There's like a more elaborate version of that if you buy it. So when you buy it, you need to use an iPhone or an iPad to do a full face scan like Face ID style. And then they kind of custom fit the headset to you before they send it to you um, so that when you get it, there's no light leak. There's nothing like that. It's as fully immersive, quote unquote, as it can be, which means you do need an iDevice of some sort like iPhone, iPad in order to do that. The real hidden cost is if you want to maximize your experience with this thing, and this is beyond the demo. This is just in general. I've watched so many reviews of this thing. Like I'm very – I'm not like wanting to buy it or anything. I'm just very interested in Apple starring a new like product pillar because that's yeah, so I'm rare. I'm pretty excited to see where this goes like yeah. in a couple of years from now. Exactly, like, honestly, which I'll get if, to in a sec. But, like, yeah, honestly, if it was ahead. a little cheaper, I would even consider getting it just because it just seems – I don't know. It just seems like a fun new device. Like, I mean, compared to, you know, some of the stuff that VR has been doing, but I don't know. I guess it's, I'm falling victim to like, oh, now that Apple's doing it, it's suddenly cool. Even though well, no, I no, really no, did no, like no. I think, VR. I think, I think there's something different here, which I'll get to in a sec. But um, what I was going to say is, so if you want like the full experience with this current Vision Pro, 
you are going to want, you're going to need an iPhone or iPad. That's one cost. You're going to want maybe a Mac because you want to be able to take, you know, what you're doing on your Mac and blow it up in, in the space and like really utilize that. So if you want that feature, that's Mac you have to also own. If you want um, like the best spatial audio, it has actually shockingly good like little speakers on the sides that do spatial audio. I, I noticed during the demo that like things were like moving around me as I was looking around like audio wise. And I asked the music, you know, he didn't specify. They didn't say, oh, it's spatial audio. But I asked, is this the same like, you know, with, with like AirPods, like spatial audio? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's built in, which is really cool. But if you want like better speakers or speakers that don't have sound leakage because these aren't in your ear, they're just next to them, um, you're going to get some head headphones. If you want the full like everything, you go, well, I use Apple TV and have a subscription to Apple TV because that's where their spatial content's going to come. They're selling 3D movies through the Apple TV. Like you're going to have to invest in a lot of things in the Apple ecosystem for the Vision Pro to be like the maximum potential it can be. And that's not even including the fact that if you have an Apple ID, you know, of course, everything just works. So like your iMessages will pop up in the Vision Pro and, and you can sync things across and like it, it, it's just... This is not a stand. I don't think that this is a standalone device in any sense. Like the coolest features of it aren't standalone. The things you need to get going aren't standalone. Half the productivity stuff isn't really standalone. It's it's your it's thirty five hundred bucks, but in reality, you're probably spending thousands more and just having Apple yeah. equipment around you in general, which is a and, big and ask. I don't I don't know who wouldn't already have that lying around, right? But. Yeah, and yeah, for a lot of people, it will make sense. But like if you're someone that's like a diehard and, a, you know, Android guy and you're looking at this like, oh, I really love what they're doing with augmented reality. I want to try that. It takes a lot to get there. You can't do the cool like project your screen from your laptop into a bigger space above it, like hovering in front of it, whatever. You can't do that with a Mac, with a PC, only with a Mac. So like there's a lot of like you have to really be entrenched. Over time, I imagine – there will be more compatibility, but like this feels like the end game of like the idea of like closed off ecosystems and walled gardens and like, you know, controlling the entire pipeline of product. Like this is Apple at like peak Apple here is like we are going to make a device that plays nice with our devices and our devices only. It's going to do all these really cool things, but you need to own like seven other devices to make it happen like that. This this is the pinnacle of that Apple uh, ecosystem experience, shall, shall we say. But Angel, you made a point that I wanted to jump on. That's something I was moving towards with my comments too. Um, you're saying like now that Apple's doing it, it's cool. Um, certainly in terms of mainstream attention, yes, I think you're right. I think Apple jumping in makes it this other level of thing where like my mom is like, what's the Vision Pro? She was never like, tell me more about the Oculus Quest 2 with Beat Saber. Like that was never a conversation, you know? So there's definitely like extra attention that comes around it being being um, Apple now doing it, which also means extra development interest and extra resources being put into development for things in this space and in VR presumably. But um, the thing I think is most interesting is this thing, in my mind, is masquerading as a VR device, and I don't think that's Apple's end goal. The coolest stuff, the stuff that felt the most like this is the future, the stuff that felt when I was doing the demo like a real peek at some sort of new paradigm was not VR. It was the mixed reality, augmented reality stuff. Which admittedly is a little less exciting. The windows I can move forward and backward in free-floating space and are able to recognize things in the foreground and background and scale around them isn't the most exciting 
bullet point on the back of the box. Like one of the things I thought was very interesting is I took my phone out at one point and I held it in front of me. And if I held it closer, it was in front of a window I had that had some apps open. And if I scooted it, my phone further back, the window then came in front of the phone. Like it could sense that distance and decide, well, this window, you put it like in the middle. So your phone's now beyond the quote unquote middle or things like that. But um, that sort of stuff, like the augmented reality, the recognizing space around you, the video pass through the idea, even when you're like in full VR, you can turn a digital crown on this thing and it will literally extend a VR environment around you. They call them digital environments. It could be like a lakeside or like the top of a volcano. Those are what I experienced. Um, but even in that space, if I turn to the guy that was doing the demo with me, because uh, the demo is a handheld, like there's a guy with an iPad who's sitting with you and literally walking you through all this. And if I turn to him and talk to him, Almost like a force ghost from Star Wars, he would like fade in to the picture. Like he wasn't like – he wasn't not there and he wasn't there. He's just kind of like so you can like break that immersion and still be social and still – which is like one of VR's big pitfalls, right? Like you're in VR. You can't engage with anyone around you whether you want to or not. It's just not an option. Apple kind of did a thing where he like fades in and between the video pass-through and all the tech to make that happen – the, you know, stuff like Tim fading in and the eyes on the front, you know, the idea that like people could see what you're doing from the outside. Like if your eyes are visible, you're free to talk. If there's like a ghostly, I don't know, like blur, that means you're doing something in VR. Like all that to me feels like Apple doing a stopgap where their vision is a augmented reality, mixed reality device that you put on the screen, whatever. It's like a pair of glasses or sunglasses. You put them on. It's clear. You can see people through it. It's no different than a pair of glasses except on your glasses is all this cool stuff I just described. That I think is where they ultimately want to go. Like, you know, you can move windows around. You can pin them to things. You can like be watching an NBA game and have like a pinned – version of the court on the table in front on your like living room table while you're watching it on the screen in front of it like all this like you know pie in the sky sci-fi stuff i think that's where apple ultimately is hoping to head i don't know if technology can get there like certainly right now there's you know they're hitting presumably some walls like i was saying the video pass through is good but not you can tell it's video pass through like the the mo the stuff that looks the most believable is where they don't bother trying to mimic reality. They just are like fine. You're in a you're in a video here. Look at this cool AK video of a rhinoceros. It's fine. So my suspicion is all the VR stuff is going to over the years. And I tweeted something to this effect for anyone who follows me. But over the years, I wouldn't be surprised if the VR stuff falls to the wayside and the AR stuff becomes the main focus because the biggest stuff Apple's pushing doesn't require full immersion. The movies you can scale to any size, they have hard edges. You still see your environment around them. The spatial audio, uh, spatial video and spatial photos, they do this really interesting thing where there's no hard edges on those photos. And even if there are, that's fine. Photos end. But they do this like kind of like fade away. It almost looks like a memory being brought back. Like, you know, like when you watch like a cartoon and you like reminisce about something, it's kind of like that white, sort of fade around the the thing you're they're remembering or reminiscing about. They kind of do that, but it fades back into the real environment around you. Those sorts of things, which seem to be like what Apple's really trying to sell, like, oh, like take spatial stuff on your phone and you could put it in your vision device in the future. Like 
that stuff doesn't require the headset in the current sense. That doesn't require video pass-through. That doesn't require screens in terms of like these fully immersive things that are inside a helmet or a ski goggle. It just requires a way to have a translucent screen they can still see through and still see the environment you're part of. And it's all designed to kind of still work with you being able to see the environment you're part of. So I think part of the reason this feels different than the other VR headsets is because I think they're using VR tech to mimic what they want to ultimately be able to do in AR and with mixed reality. And that to me is what's kind of exciting about it. Like this was a really cool proof of concept of, hey, if we had a full AR device, like if we had a full, you just put on some glasses and go, and this is what you can do. Like this was a really cool, you know, we're one or two steps away from that type of tech experience to have with the demo. Which is partly why I don't feel the urge to buy it because I'm like, well, there's still the pitfalls of like, there's it's still like enclosed. It still has bad battery life. It's still, you know, has like weird video pass-through stuff, like kind of fuzzy at times. Like there's some, you know, you can tell you're looking at a video when it's trying to pass-through. Like if they just kind of chop out that video need and just have it be see-through, there you go. Whether technology will ever get there, who knows? Whether they'll keep a VR variant because this is Vision Pro. Maybe there's a Vision Air that drops the VR and only does AR. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some future where they split it and there's like Vision AR and Vision VR. Like who knows? But it seems like the stuff that has the most mileage and feels the most like Apple-y is the AR where it's just kind of look and tap. Look and tap your fingers and it just works. And then the VR is just like a best-in-class example of the existing tech, if that makes sense. So that's a lot. But that's kind of where I stand on everything with the Vision Pro. I'm very glad I experienced it. I'm very happy to not spend 3500 on it, but give me a slim down on it a few years. That's kind of just glasses. And I'm in, at least for the fun stuff. Yeah. Damn. Do you think that they will ever do a, uh, Do you ever think that they'll do a not necessarily a cheap one but like a i guess a cheaper one oh for sure i mean pro is like for them they're high-end ones so like that's kind of saying like i don't know if like vision pro means it's vr and ar and then in the future vision like air or something becomes just ar or what like but there's no way like this is the whole thing everything from what i've seen reviews to using it first well not so much using it firsthand i will say i was gonna say the whole thing feels like a dev kit that they're selling I will say in using it, it felt less like a dev kit than I thought it would. It felt more like a polished Apple product than I kind of figured. Like like the first Apple Watch, you know, I, I bought that. I at, at that point, Apple didn't know what they were doing with the Apple Watch. They kind of threw everything against the wall. They saw fitness stuck. They honed in and refined, and then that became the mainstream hook, and now the Apple Watch is huge. Um, I think high level, that's beginning? what they're doing. Yeah, I got Series 0. Yep, 2015. Wow. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, I don't know why to this day I did it, but I did it. Um, but yeah, I think they're doing the same thing here with Vision Pro and they're every feature that could possibly be a selling point. They're throwing against the wall. They're seeing what sticks and then they're going to whittle it down and refine it. And that's when the prices will come down and that's when the, the bulkiness and heaviness will come down. And that's when it hits its stride. Like that's kind of, they did similar with the iPhone where the first one was kind of like, it didn't have 3G. In a time when every phone had 3G. Like there's a lot of stuff it was missing. But they wanted to get certain ideas out there to float among the public. They did. They figured out what worked. And now look at the iPhone. 
So, so yes, I think to answer your question, Kevin, I, I would guess the Vision Pro is a throw everything against the wall, which is why I think it has so much VR. And then they'll see what sticks. And it seemed, like I said, to me, it seems like the stuff Apple's really like going crazy with is the AR. Like that's the stuff they're really like focusing in on, it feels like, uh, as something new and different. And they're probably throwing VR in both one to justify the fact that you have to wear these goggles and you can't just have glasses and two to see well is vr the selling point maybe we do need to keep vr but either way i, I have to imagine they're gonna make a cheaper one there's no way they pro always means there's a not pro you know they've never had a pro without a non-pro so that's where my head well, at, all right yeah but it's really cool i recommend checking it out you can demo uh set up a demo at apple.com they do not try and sell you at all they just walk you through it there's not a single sales pitch the entire time um but it's, it's it's really fun just as like a peek at the future. A peek at the future. Peek at the future. Or, or <laughs> a vision of the future, if you will. Tell <laughs> me uh-huh. okay. you're going to have one by the end of 2024. Um, no, but 25 maybe. Wow. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep this uh, Jason train rolling. Uh, oh, you want to talk about Nintendo World? I do. Okay, so I made a point last episode that 2024 was going to be the year of the gimmick, right? And I, I wanted to mention it's the Vision Pro. Um, I want to amend that. It is the year of the gimmick. But it's the year of the gimmick because there's so much cool thing, so many cool things to look forward to. So what I mean by that is like with the Vision Pro, the VR stuff and whatever, you can argue is a gimmick just to get the AR concept out there. Sure. But what's exciting is what's coming a couple years down the pipe. Where does Vision Pro go from there? What I want to talk about Nintendo World is uh, Universal announced officially. And I'm not saying there's a gimmick here. I'm just making the point of like extended excitement. Um, Universal Universal officially announced last week Epic Universe, which is coming to Florida. It's going to be a third park. So there's going to be Studios, Isles of Adventure, and um, Epic Universe. Inside Epic Universe is officially Super Nintendo World plus Donkey Kong. Uh, a Harry Potter thing, a How to Train Your Dragons thing, a dark universe, which is all the classic horror movies, and then like a central hub called Celestial Park that have a couple rides itself as well as a hotel. That's what we know. That's coming next year. What's exciting here, Donkey Kong's cool. But what's exciting here, sort of like with the Vision Pro, it's like years away to be excited about. I'm very excited about what's been leaking for Nintendo World that's supposedly happening in the next few years. Donkey Kong's just the start, apparently. And by the way, Universal's still pumping stuff out. They announced they they did a surprise opening of a second restaurant at Universal Studios Hollywood, a second Mario restaurant, like last week. It's it's a little cafe called Power Up Cafe, and it has pretzels that are shaped like mushrooms. But um, they're still doing a lot with Nintendo. But my point is with this. Um, so they announced Donkey Kong. They announced Mario. Everyone's like, "Yep, we knew it was coming." They already said it. But there's this site that um, previously reported about Donkey Kong before it was announced and previously reported about a lot of stuff before it was announced involving Nintendo World. They are kind of the inside track. They're called Orlando Park Stop. And according to them, we got a lot more coming. And this is very exciting. We're talking late 2020s, same as when Vision Pro might take off, same as when, you know, any number of things might blow up. But we're talking Pokemon, Zelda, Luigi's Mansion, all coming to Florida by end of 2020s which is pretty cool, assuming this is true. Um, And I just want to talk about this because I'm very excited about these potential here. So first up is Pokemon. 
Um, so in Japan, they have a deal with Pokemon for Universal uh, Osaka. And right now it's just a parade float, I believe, and like a little festival thing. But apparently the Spider-Man ride that we rode, Kevin, you and me. Wait, yeah, you, you rode it, right? The Spider-Man ride in Florida? Uh, yes, the one I with did. The pyro? Yeah. Yeah, so they have that, the same that, one in Japan. That, that thing was not canon at no. all. <laughs> well, they have the exact same ride in Japan apparently or very similar. And supposedly they will be replacing it with a Pokemon ride that uses the same track but has an augmented reality helmet you put on, kind of like the Mario Kart ride. And then you're like interacting with and potentially catching and battling Pokemon using hand gestures while you're riding what was essentially that Spider-Man ride we rode. Oh, man, touching Pokemon? Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so that's like one thing that's apparently coming down the pipe that just sounds like the evolution of what Mario Kart does where, you know, it it does have the augmented reality headset but it doesn't have the hands. So that's kind of cool. What's interesting is in America it won't be replacing Spider-Man. It might be replacing The Simpsons. So I guess The Simpsons license for Universal is up very soon and Universal does not want to keep paying Disney. So they might actually – exactly. So they might actually swap out The Simpsons part of Universal Florida and plop in a Pokemon area that may or may not include kind of like a cityscape, like maybe like Meridian City or something. But may also have Pokeballs you can buy, kind of like the wands in Harry Potter. But those Pokeballs could also then be used in the ride to catch Pokemon. It's unclear. It sounds like there's competing ideas right now within Universal. So I'm not sure if like the Pokeballs replace the augmented reality hands or if they'd be an addition or if there are no augmented reality like hand gestures anymore and you're just using a Pokeball or just you know doing it passively. Who knows? But – the the point is there's like a cool Pokemon thing maybe coming to Universal in a couple years, which is – and it sounds like they're trying to quickly get rid of Simpsons, like quicker than planned. Like Pokemon was scheduled for like late 2020s. It sounds like it might be like mid-late, like 27 versus 29 type of thing, maybe even 26. So that's something kind of cool to look forward to further out. Um, and then that's just the start because then Kevin, I have to also remember when we were at Isle of Adventure in Florida – um, we walked through or I don't know, did you make it over to like the what was the like Poseidon, like whatever that was area, like the old ruins or whatever? No. So just past Jurassic Park and the excellent um uh Velocicoaster ride. Yeah, great ride. But still very happy that you and I you guys got me to sit in the very front of the ride with you and that was a great experience. Um that sounds Fantastic like a it was so good. But anyway, if you go a little past that, there's something called the Lost Continent. And it's had like a Poseidon ride and a restaurant and stuff. They've been slowly shutting down the rides. And actually the Poseidon one closed I think like two weeks before we got there um, like for good. Rumor is or speculation is uh, it may become a Zelda area. So they would retrofit this area that looked kind of mythological and whatnot into a Zelda-themed space that would include a restaurant. The restaurant there currently would be rethemed as a restaurant at the foot of the Deku Tree. And then there would be a ride that I guess would use the space where the Poseidon ride was, which fittingly would also be boat-based, which makes me wonder, Wind Waker? Like, I don't know what boat-based thing in Zelda would be. But anyway, um, yeah, so it sounds like they may use an existing part of the park they may retrofit Simpsons to be Pokemon. 
Lost Continent to be Zelda and then still open Epic Universe with, you know, Mario and Donkey Kong next year. But then it doesn't stop there between the Mario and Donkey Kong part of Epic Universe and its neighbor Dark Universe is a gap. And that gap is big enough to potentially be filled with a Luigi's Mansion ride. So a third part of Super Nintendo World proper, which would be separate from the Zelda part, which would be separate from the Pokemon part. And this ride apparently is like, if these reports are true, basically Haunted Mansion meets like Toy Story Mania. So you'd have a poltergust, you'd be trying to get ghosts, but the whole vibe of it as you're acting on these ghosts would be kind of, you know, whimsical Haunted Mansion, Luigi's Mansion, that sort of thing. And it all just sounds really cool and very expensive, but really cool. So that's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> no, but I think it's just it's just interesting to me that, like, Nintendo in the span of what's going to be what? Eight years? Seven, seven to eight years? Is going to be that quickly diving headfirst into, like, all this theme park stuff. Like, they're, cat, they're, they're like, speed running this at this point. And... It just kind of, I feel like last year it was really nice because all these things came to fruition, right? Like Super Nintendo World, the Mario movie, Tears of the Kingdom, all these things we've been waiting years for all kind of just happened at once. And it's just like, blah, here you go. Like, it's here's everything. And it was a great year to be a fan. Pikmin 4, we've been waiting like 15 years for that. And they all just kind of like showed up at once. It feels like Nintendo and beyond, like 2024, short term, we're getting a lot of gimmicky things, but it feels like we're at like a reset. For, like, the stuff to look forward to over the next many years. You got the theme park stuff from Nintendo. You got the Switch 2, whatever that turns into. That's obviously for years people have been wanting that. But now we're at the start of this potentially new or expanded or whatever approach they take. Like, different ecosystem of games. Opportunity for a bunch of new AAA Nintendo games to come out to promote this new platform. You know, there's this weird rumor the other week of, like, there's a Donkey Kong game that Vicarious Visions was apparently making at one point where, like... Donkey Kong would, like, grind on vines, and he'd wear... My favorite part of this rumor, um, Vicarious Visions was working with Shigeru Miyamoto on this, and Shigeru Miyamoto was like, Donkey Kong's gonna get rope burn. You need to give him shoes. So they gave him banana peel shoes. So the whole, like, visual, like, hook of the game was gonna be Donkey Kong has these wacky banana peel shoes and can grind on vines in an open-world 3D game from the people that make Tony Hawk. So that could have been a thing. I have no idea. Like that, that kind of fell to the wayside because Activision wanted Vicarious Visions to do the Crash Bandicoot reboot and all that. But point is, some of those ideas may live on in a new Donkey Kong. Who knows? But like we're at the start of like that next wave of interesting stuff Nintendo might be doing once they announce Switch 2, which for all we know, maybe they'll allude to in their financials. They're coming out like hours after we record this. Probably not. There's no way I don't think that this year. You don't think Switch 2 is coming out this year? Nope. Okay. You want to bet on it? $1. Okay. Deal. Right. Virtual handshake. All right. Virtual the point handshake. is, uh, I think, okay, so let's say Switch 2 doesn't happen. Nintendo theme parks, the Zelda movie starring up uh, outside Nintendo, you got like the Vision Pro and whatever that technology leads to. There's like all sorts of weird stuff with cars happening. There's a company actually right down the aisle from where I tried the Vision Pro at my mall that has like, I don't know if you guys are aware of the PlayStation car. So Sony and Honda are making a car together and it like can stream PlayStation games through the cloud. They have the car prototype. It was at CES. It's now parked at the mall by my house. I I went and checked it out on Saturday. It's kind of cool. 
I mean, it's just a standard EV with a PlayStation inside. But, and weirdly, a weird marquee on the outside that you can customize. So like where the front badge would be is like a else, uh, like OLED screen and you can like write messages on it to people. So basically whatever. that's your next car? No, hardly. But my point is like, I feel like we're at this like, 2023 was like, cool, here's all this stuff that you've been waiting for that came to an end. 2024, starting with the theme park, starting with Vision Pro is like, hey, here's all this like cool stuff to look forward to in the next half a decade. And that's fun. So I'm excited for the theme park stuff. I don't know if any of those rides sounded interesting to you guys, but I think it's really cool that they're expanding as rapidly as they are with some interesting sounding rides and not just like generic shoot in like, hey, it's, it's you know, this ride, but now there's a Pikachu on it or whatever. Like, it sounds like they're really doing some interesting stuff with like the AR and whatnot. But yeah, so that's why I bought theme parks. Thank you for your time. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It feels like we hit a reset button on like hype. And of course, that means short term gimmicks and little weird things to guess there. But like, it's cool. It's fun. All righty. Uh, where to go from here? Hmm. <laughs> well, if we want to talk about things that are weird, that are happening in the future. There's one more I can mention. That's not necessary fun but exists sure xbox might be going multi-platform probably is actually the xbox might be segaing on us maybe sega segaing on us segaing on us well not necessarily because segaing on us would mean that they get out of the, the, the the console they get out of the console space that's true i don't think i don't think xbox is gonna do that but word on the street the last couple weeks and again you know, exciting, like, new chapter of the game, in game industry as a whole. Like, how many years has it been PlayStation versus Xbox versus Nintendo? Xbox is kind of stepping away from that that whole thing because uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've gotten word that supposedly – well, actually, this one's real because they found data in the game for shirts themed around the other consoles. Hi-Fi Rush will be coming to Switch and PlayStation very soon. See if these will probably be coming to PlayStation uh, Starfield might be coming to PlayStation. The Xbox exclusive, exclusive Indiana Jones and the Great Circle, weird name, also no longer Xbox exclusive, might be coming to PlayStation. They're considering it. That's kind of cool. Um, kind of wanted to play it. Yeah, there's basically Gears of War might be going multi-platform. Basically, it seems like in the last few weeks, there's been all this smoke and seemingly fire because next week xbox has confirmed phil spencer confirmed xbox will be talking about their business strategy next week um after buying activision blizzard i think someone at microsoft might have gone gee there's a lot of money to be made if we like put our games elsewhere too so the big the big shift here might be that xbox's platform might no longer be a single console they make games for but might just be kind of what Game Pass was supposed to be, I think, which is put as many games in front of as many people as you can and make as much money as you can off that, which is really what Microsoft always does. Windows, you know, Windows, they let every third party that wants it, they can install it. Microsoft Office, they put on competing OSs. You know, like, it's, it's this is, this is kind of their bread and butter. Xbox is kind of the weird one out by being like, we only make one console, it's made by us directly, and our games are only on that. Like, everything else... Microsoft does is very like we'll make a Surface but like you can make an Asus laptop and use the same software as us so like 
I guess the Xbox can kind of make sense in that regard. But it's it's definitely a shift from PlayStation is platform A with exclusive ABC versus Xbox is a platform B with exclusive ABC. Head-to-head battle, go. Like that mm, console war sounds win. like it's – yeah, yeah. Although there's been a lot of interesting – kind of blowback from some xbox fans who feel like well why did i buy this console first of all you bought the console because you got the games you got and you enjoyed them right presumably xbox fan but um there's definitely been some like oh well, what would motivate me to buy an xbox if i could just play all those games on playstation like that's so that's so silly why would anyone buy an xbox and who would fund the next games and da, 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 da. i don't i don't know it doesn't feel like the game industry works like that anymore if you ask me Certainly there's exceptions. Nintendo, you know, they, they marry their games with their consoles and you buy it specifically for Mario. But there's nothing like Mario on on, on Xbox. It isn't happy. They have already been saying for a while that Game Pass is their platform. And when Game Pass growth started to stall a little, I mean, uh, NPD or Sircon or whatever they're called now, uh, their analyst, Matt Piscatello, who, you know, we've referenced on the show before, he was saying that like subscription growth was like up only 3% year over year or something in like middle of last year. Um, if you can't sell Game Pass subscriptions, then your platform's going to be about gang games for as many people as possible. The next best thing is to just port the games to the platforms where they are. So, it's true. So, they're going to get my money at this point because <laughs> like we yeah. talked about Game Pass is just too good of a deal that I cannot take advantage of it. So, I'd rather just not have it. And I feel like I feel like whether it's that or whether people just don't want subscriptions or don't want to play through the cloud or more of the point, Xbox may have thought or Microsoft may have thought that people would invest heavier into Game Pass and subscriptions would be higher. And they spent a ton of money developing Starfield, buying Bethesda, buying Activision, you know, all that with the intention of having this huge player base on Game Pass that maybe isn't there yet. Then I feel like the obvious move is they have to bring some of those games to other platforms. They put in that much money. They need a return on that investment, you know? So, I yeah, I, I think everyone that seems shocked that Xbox is doing this, I'm surprised because they've kind of been saying they're doing this with Game Pass for so long. But then to all the people are like, well, how are they going to fund future games? I mean, Microsoft literally just bought one of the biggest publishers in the world, Activision Blizzard, whose entire billions upon billions upon billions of revenue is based on the idea of people buy our games on multiple platforms and we use the funding from that purchase, from all those purchases, to then make more games for also all the platforms. So like that that can work. If if Microsoft wants to go that route, they can still make plenty of money and still make plenty of games and it'll be fine. And they can still make hardware and just have it be like the Surface. You can buy, you know, an Xbox, whatever they call the next one, not two. I don't know what they would call it. Series. Well, Xbox One became Xbox Series. This would be Series Z. I don't know. But they can make another Xbox. That could be like the best machine for playing Game Pass games. Or, you know, Asus is making an Xbox Two or whatever. Like they, they they can license out the hardware. Like it's just – it's this seems much more in line with what Microsoft's whole business MO has been outside of gaming for as long as it's existed. That I'm kind of surprised people are so surprised that Xbox is now like, well – Maybe we should do what the rest of our company does. So, what are we looking But it's at? interesting. Again, another big shift, another change over the next few years. It's going to be really interesting to watch. The one potential downside is uh, there's no you know high end console competitor of Sony now. PlayStation's competing still with a lot of things: mobile, Nintendo, PC gaming, all that. But like, there's not a one to one. Like they have to try and 
tit for tat go against Xbox because Xbox is doing its own thing potentially. So that'll be interesting to see if like Sony tries to like be like, oh, well, <laughs> we can make a $600 PS6, like, you know, or whatever. Um, but certainly it's, it, it's going to be an interesting few years if Xbox, if all, where all the smoke is, there is in fact fire, which we'll know next week. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Another, you know, like I said, another thing these next few years is going to be a big change up from what we've been used to. So I think I'm done now. I think I've ranted enough. This episode. <laughs> nice. Not, yeah. not necessarily nice, but you, you got some, some good word, Jim. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I want to talk about hey, staying on the, the, the video game train. Um, mm-hmm. Persona 3 Reload came out. And, uh, Oh boy, I love Persona. You know, you know me. I am the Persona fanboy here. You are. Uh, is it any good? Sounds like a butt is coming. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, I was in a butt. But it, there is no butt. Huh. It is just. It's it's great. Persona Three has always been my favorite in the series. Probably one of my favorite games, just in general, and. You know, I always describe the series as Persona, uh, as as Pokemon, but just nihilistic Pokemon. Um, and I mean, this one, this one continues the trend. Um, this game is essentially Persona Three with a Persona Five skin. Um, the original Persona Three came out back in two thousand six, so right oh around the same time that I was watching Grand Logan uh, on the on the PS two. Yeah, eighteen whole years ago. That's crazy. Right, I remember playing that actually. I somehow got a review copy of it, so I had to go to a friend's house for the PS2. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, sorry, um, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, it is, this game is essentially just Persona Three with a a coat of the style that Persona Five, um, you know, has. Its menus are very reminiscent of Fives, like bold, bright colors, and then so each menu derivative. has its own. Mm. <laughs> I feel like that was him taking a shot. No, not necessarily because it still feels like its own game. Every, uh, and I can't really speak to Persona One or Two because I haven't played those. Um, those are very much their own their own games. Um, but would in Kevin? Would you say they share like a design language, so to speak, like the same way Mario games now are they do. not derivative, but they have an overarching vibe now. Th- Especially now they do because like, especially when it comes to like the menus, they're using the same, uh, menu and like UI designer that they have Mm. since per, since like Catherine apparently. Um, so it has that, that like style that, that not a lot of video game menus have. Um, but no, this is, this is very much, uh, sort of an expanded remake of the original, um, the original Persona 3 release. You weren't able to control your teammates. Now you can. Um, they brought over some of the quality of life and some of the mechanics over from Persona 5. So in Persona 5, whenever you exploited an enemy's weakness, you were able to um, have a teammate of yours take your extra turn. Uh, that was called the Baton Pass in Persona 5. Here it's called the Shift. Um, and then I, it just... It's just a looker of a game now, especially like I'm playing it on my on my TV on my 4K TV, and it looks it looks so so good. Um, on top of like the graphical and mechanical updates, uh, the studio has also added like a meter to each character that slowly fills up during battles. 
and like once it's filled that character can essentially unleash a super move um on top of that in the original game your male teammates didn't have social links so you couldn't hang out with them and here there are moments sprinkled throughout the game where you are actually able to hang out with with those uh with those male teammates of yours and then as you hang out with them those will earn stats to your uh to those characters personas later on in the dungeon crawling aspect of the game um which do you guys know how how they summon personas in this game mm, is that not they shoot themselves in the head? yeah yeah this is, this is the one where they shoot themselves in the head with uh with a gun that's called an evoker um it's funny because like persona 4 the characters will like break tarot cards that of the personas and that's how you'd summon them and then five uh, the characters like wore masks that they would rip off themselves um, to summon personas, and like still to this day, Persona Three has had the best one, where where you are just shooting yourself in the head with this uh, with a spirit gun, essentially. So, how do you discover that without, I guess, having tried to kill yourself? Uh, I mean, there's unlike Persona Four and Persona Five, where these characters are sort of discovering this you know, this otherworldly force that's, like, that has, like, some impending doom to it. Uh, there's already characters that are aware of the, the things that are happening that that are, surround the main mystery of this game. Essentially, there is uh, there's this hour in between days. Uh, so at the end of the day, the dark hour starts, essentially. And the whole world gets a little moody. Um... Almost everybody turns into a coffin, with the exception of a few people uh, that are able to experience the uh, the dark hour. And so, when you start this game, you already have teammates that have already experienced this and are already investigating this. So, how those characters found out that you could summon personas with a gun, I don't know, but there is nothing like it's it's not like somebody try to try to you know, shoot themselves in the head out of fear and then they summon personas, they they somehow already knew in this game. He raises oh. a question I often wonder about food. Like, how did, I guess through trial and error, but how do people know what's safe to eat and what's not? Someone had to eat the bad stuff and die. Right? Like, this is the same thing. Someone had to shoot themselves in the head and just die and then someone else went, gee, when I shoot myself in the head, I didn't die and that's how they know those are the ones that don't die. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's an evoker, not a gun. Yeah, like, hmm. Yeah, not sure exactly. Uh, like, there are scientists in the game that that try to figure out all this stuff. So, there is some backstory to that that I'm not going to get into. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm like 15. I'm like 15 hours in right now. It's pretty great. One thing that I'm not fond of that they that they changed for this game uh, from the original releases. The original Persona Three had a fatigue system. Uh, and I actually like that fatigue system. Uh, apparently, I'm in the minority. Um, in the original release, you were essentially able to dungeon crawl with no limits because you were able to refresh your health and your your SP, which is essentially like your mana in other RPGs for free. Um, except using your evoker to summon your personas would eventually cause your party members stress. And the more stressed they were, the more susceptible they were to like critical attacks. And then... If you just kept pushing them, then those characters could actually get sick, and then they'd be out of commission for like one or two days uh, from dungeon crawling. But if your party members were fresh going into uh, the dungeon, then they'd be able to dish out critical attacks more regularly, 
and they completely took that out in favor of the system that they had in Persona 4 and Persona 5, which is you're basically just constricted to to your SP, and like when your SP runs out, it's like, oh, well, I can't really done your call anymore. Um, what I liked about the fatigue system is it did have this this balance of um of like man do i really want to push myself to to keep to keep grinding out levels and risk this uh this terrible thing happening to my characters but now that's just gone in favor of something a little bit more traditional um i know some people are disappointed that the expanded uh storyline isn't on here and there is no um female main character the same way that there wasn't persona 3 portable um but i mean i'm i'm digging it just i like i i didn't really care for that expanded story uh a lot of people like to say that like oh it's very integral no and no it's not everybody just wants to cry that this isn't the definitive persona 3 experience with that expanded storyline and the uh the female route no, nobody liked that back in the day. I don't know why people are pretending that they do. Um, yeah, Persona Three Reload. I am. Uh, I'm gonna play the crap out of this. I have to play the crap out of it specifically because I need to make sure that it's beaten before Final Fantasy VII Rebirth at the end of this month. Because uh, um, that game is then going going to take over. Not. My life. Not. So you to say pickle sufficiently that- tickled. Uh, my my pickle is as yes, it's it's been tickled, tickled very well. And not to throw a wrench in your plan to get through Persona by Final Fantasy, but I do. Are you aware that by the time this episode goes live, well, roughly the day this episode goes live, there is a Final Fantasy VII demo being released. Oh, what? Yeah, it got it? leaked. Yep, got leaked. Sony slipped up, and uh, unless they're retracting it now, apparently Sony slipped up around five o'clock this evening, Monday evening, um, and let slip that tomorrow there's going to be a demo for Final Fantasy. Sony accidentally confirmed that the Final Fantasy Seven Rebirth demo is launching tomorrow. You'll be able yeah. to play as Cloud or Sephiroth. Oh, okay. So I, mean, um, I don't know you what have a, a little less Persona time and a little more Final Fantasy time, I guess. I don't know what a demo is going to do for me aside from just seeing the graphical upgrades between last gen and this gen because I'm right. the battle system is probably going to stay exactly the same, which I right, love that battle right. system. My favorite in any video game of all time. And the demo may be very short, in which case, I mean, the Marvel vs. Donkey Kong demo Nintendo put out the other week last week was super short, so maybe this. Yeah, I'm not expecting this thing to last anything more than thirty minutes. I mean, Square Square Enix demos, when they did, like, the Project Triangle and Octopath Traveler and all those demos, oh, my God, they were, like, eight hours long, demo, the demos. So, But those are new IPs, so it's a different ballgame entirely. And then this is also, it's going to be, I assume, a, a, a chunkable or a sizable chunk uh, that you'd have chunkable. to balance. So. A chunkable, chunkable size. It will be a chunkable size. size. <laughs> um. But yeah, anyway, that was a that was a little bit about Persona 3 Reload, my favorite game, built from the ground up to look like a brand new game. I love it. <laughs> that sounds like we have a, a Quarantini Award in the making there. Favorite game built from the ground up to look like a new one. Yeah, and uh, unless we have anything else, I'm think I'm I think that's it. I I, I I spoke more than I. I'm good. 
Angel? <laughs> yeah, pretty good on this end. All right, cool. Well, uh, I'm never one to do all the housekeeping, so Jason, if you would, please. So, because people love hearing my voice so much, I'm back with more. Uh, you can find us on all your favorite podcast apps. We are on Google Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, TuneIn, um, YouTube, where our channel is at Ram Nintendo, which is also our Twitter handle. Uh, individual, you can find us on the internet as well. I am JSR7 on Twitter and threads. Kevin is KVN Gomi on Twitter. Angel is World of Wearos on Instagram. And be sure to uh, keep an eye on your podcast app and or our Twitter that I already mentioned, Ram Nintendo. Because the next episode, Nintendo Financials, they're out in like 45 minutes after we're done recording this. You guys got away with not having to hear it tonight, just barely. But they're coming, and I'm excited. Well, and that's it. That's it. Angel, take us out. Go and log in with the meeting.